So what do you think the Republican attorneys general are up to here in um, weighing in on this? So I think there are two things. One of them is just to support the overall resistance to the election that, that President Trump is coordinating because he doesn't take losing gracefully, to put it mildly. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt wants the Supreme Court to block some votes from being counted in Pennsylvania. We got an expert's take on what the state's highest law enforcement officer is up to on today's St. Louis on the Air. These Republicans, uh, as loyal members of the party, are supporting that effort. That's one thing. The other is, I think they think that in the long run, it will be good to them if the court hears this case, even if it doesn't affect the election. It'll be good to get a precedent that state courts can't, um, can't monkey with what state legislatures have to say. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. NPR called the election on Saturday, along with just about every media outlet in the U.S. But President Donald Trump is not conceding. He's filed legal challenges in several states. And on Monday, a group of Republican attorneys general filed a legal brief supporting the campaign's efforts in Pennsylvania. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt took the lead on this amicus brief. An attorney working for the state of Missouri actually wrote the legal filing. Now, we'd hoped to talk to Attorney General Schmidt about this, but his press office was not able to confirm his availability in time for the show, and, and he declined to participate. So we turn to an expert. Ronald Levin is the William R. Orthwine Distinguished Professor of Law at Washington University, and he joins us today. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me. So it may seem pretty surprising to some people to see our attorney general here in Missouri entering the fray on the battle over Pennsylvania votes. What do you think is going on here? Well, I will, I will describe the Pennsylvania case to put that into perspective. That'd be great. You've got a Pennsylvania statute um, that says a million ballot has to arrive at the election board by election day, November 3rd. But the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that ballots that are sent by then but arrive by November 6th could be counted. And they said, well, given the pandemic conditions, this would protect the voters' right to vote un under the Pennsylvania Constitution. Mm -hmm. So Republicans uh, in Pennsylvania appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and their argument was the U.S. Constitution says election rules must be set by the legislatures of the states, which they interpreted to mean that means the courts can't do something creative on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, so the court hasn't agreed to hear this case, but in some uh, motions on stays, some of the conservative justices uh, suggested that they thought the Republican argument might be right. Hmm. So the case is still in the court, and they haven't decided whether to hear it. Um, but if they want to hear it, they can, and the ballots in question, the, the late-arriving ballots, have been isolated so the court could theoretically decide that they're not valid uh, uh, because of that argument and uh, disallow them. So the, uh, the Republicans' attorneys general, including Schmidt, nine, ten in all, have filed an amicus brief on the side of the Pennsylvania Republicans to support that argument 
in the event the court hears it. Now, you're saying these ballots, they have been isolated. Do we know at this point, um, these ballots that they're asking not to count towards this election, who they've gone to? Well, these are president. These are ballots that would that would include a, a vote for president. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, probably, in most cases, people would have voted for president. But you should keep in mind here: there aren't enough of them to change the result in Pennsylvania for uh, for Biden. Mm-hmm. So there are only about ten thousand of those. But Biden is currently uh, about fifty thousand votes in the lead, and and probably growing. So anything the court might do in this case would not have any bearing on whether. Biden will be uh, elected president. So what do you think the Republican attorneys general are up to here in um, weighing in on this? So I think there are two things. One of them is just to support the overall resistance to the election that, that President Trump is coordinating because he doesn't take losing gracefully, to put it mildly. <laughs> and so he is sponsoring uh, continued challenges. And I think these Republicans, uh, as loyal members of the party, are supporting that effort. That's one thing. The other is, I think they think that in the long run, it will be good to them, if the court hears this case, even if it doesn't affect the election, it will be good to get a precedent that state courts can't, um, can't monkey with what state legislatures have to say. Hmm. And that could apply in the future. And at the moment, Republicans control legislatures predominantly, so that might generally work to their long-term advantage. And by asking to say that a court uh, can't meddle in this and, and that it's up to the state legislatures, um, is precedent on their side for that part? Well, it's a largely unlitigated area uh, on that precise issue, hmm. but, it, but there is some precedent on it. So as I said, the Constitution actually says the legislatures write the rules, but there is a, a, a very interesting recent precedent um, in which the Supreme Court said, in a slightly related, uh, closely related clause, legislature shouldn't be read too literally. It can mean whoever makes laws for the states. Hmm. So that's why we have independent districting commissions uh, set up by initiative, like the one that we had until uh, a week or so ago uh, under Clean Missouri. Amendment 3 abolished it, but before that, there was a, a, a uh, redistricting commission set up by initiative. Well, that is uh, legal, even though they aren't legislatures literally. So there's some room for the court to use some creativity here. It's really an open issue. Mm-hmm. And as I said, some of, the, some of the justices have indicated that they would go along with this restrictive interpretation. But there's also some strong arguments suggesting that that would be a bad idea, because Normally, we let states decide for themselves internally, let the state courts interpret what their, le- what their laws mean. Mm-hmm. And if the Supreme Court were to get into the business of picking and choosing which ones are just too creative, too aggressive, and don't count, it would be a very subjective judgment uh, about where you draw that line. And mm-hmm. it would be open to the criticism that... The Supreme Court is using its own political values to, uh, to, uh, to make that choice, especially if it turned out that you have the Republican-appointed justices on one side of that and the Democratic-appointed justices on the other. Mm-hmm. And there was one prior occasion when this occurred where something similar in a case you might have heard of called Bush against Gore. Uh, yes. In which some of the conservative justices there 
presented the same theory under a very closely related uh, clause. And they said um, the Florida Supreme Court was using too much creativity, and therefore what it did shouldn't count. As I said, that was not a full court opinion. It was a concurring opinion. But let's say this. Bush v. Gore is not really remembered these days as a high point in judicial neutrality and <laughs> apolitical decision-making. That's so true, really, but... I think that the example shows why this would be a very troublesome road for the court to go down. That makes a good point. What about, though, uh, you know, John Roberts has, has stated he has respect for precedent. Does that count as, as a precedent here in his mind in, in any possible world? No, I think in this context it's not... There's no clear decision by a, by a, uh, by a court majority. Okay. So I don't think he would treat that as a precedent in that sense. What he has says is we should respect the state courts as the frontline implementers of election law. It's usually not a federal matter. It's usually left in the hands of state courts. So if you pick that quote out, it gives a little comfort to the Democratic side of this argument, but not a whole lot because... It's, it's more of a hint than a, a direct statement on point. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had to predict, and I know that's a terrible question to ask lawyers, um, y'all generally don't like to predict in my experience, but, but say the court did decide to take this on. Do you think there would be the votes with this, uh, this pretty strong conservative majority we have right now to say, yeah, you can't count these 10,000 or so ballots? Well, since you're asking me to have my pundit non, uh, non-rigor hat on, um, my, my first choice is I don't think they will take it because it wouldn't affect the presidential election, and it's so politically fraught they'd, they'd find a, a less troublesome area to do it. But mm-hmm. taking your question as it is, I think they probably would not, because uh, it would be uh, it would be very disruptive if you had voters who cast their votes in good faith uh, because the courts told them they, they had until November sixth to get it in. And now the Supreme Court comes along afterwards and says, guess what? Your vote for president didn't count. Mm -hmm. I think that would be very troubling, and I think they would probably want to steer away from that. Yeah, it seems like the exact sort of thing that that John Roberts has made pretty clear that he wants to avoid. Yes, I think he, he wants to maintain the legitimacy of the court, and plunging them into that morass, uh, which would undoubtedly be a division along... Uh, Republican-appointed and Democratic-appointed lines would elicit a great deal of outcry that I think he would want to avoid. We're talking today to Ron Levin. He's the William R. Orthwine Distinguished Professor of Law at Washington University. Um, He teaches on election law as well as administrative law, and he's joining us today to talk about the challenge in Pennsylvania. Uh, The Missouri Attorney General has somewhat led the the, uh, amicus brief effort that uh, a bunch of state attorney generals are weighing in on. And I want to bring it back to Eric Schmidt's role in this. I do think this is kind of interesting. We've heard from a lot of listeners with questions about this. This brief was written by Missouri's Solicitor General and the Deputy Solicitor General. These are taxpayer-funded positions. Is it unusual to see people like that weigh in on what seems like purely a political dispute? Well, it's not quite as unusual as you think, because we have, with the polarization of the country, uh, we are seeing increasingly um, the uh, attorneys general offices in the states taking the lead to challenge executive actions, and that is true on both the Democratic and the Republican side. Mm. So during the Trump administration, you had a lot of um, 
uh, attorney general offices challenging Trump policies. They they were taking the lead, and uh, you know I think the classic example we have the Supreme, the Obamacare case in the Supreme Court right now, mm-hmm. and that's a case called California versus Texas, and so uh, you've got um, California and a, a, I think about sixteen Democratic administrations. Uh, defending the act on about, I think, 19 Republican administrations, including uh, Schmidt's office, <laughs> opposing it. So it's very widespread. So this but is, this said, is the new this normal. Is, <laughs> I think this is an extreme example, because this is a case about Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Its effect on Missouri is very limited. I could tell you the arguments in the brief about why it's some of their business, but I think they're pretty thin. And so what we really have is... Uh, not just a concept of where the public interest lies, as with um, health care policy, mm-hmm. but really something that makes no sense for any Democrat to be for, is really a partisan dispute. And so to the extent that we have state resources going toward a cause that Republicans may cheer, but that could appeal only to party loyalists, I think we have something a little bit troubling, and it's not putting the democratic process, small d, mm-hmm. in its best light. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, we have Tom calling from St. Louis. Um, Tom, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, Tom, you, you, you there? Yes, thank you. Uh, you just covered um, my question, but I'll just add that as an ordinary voter, it sounds like Schmidt is using the resources of the state of Missouri to uh, blow up his profile and build his support with the GOP base. Uh, and uh, I'm very sorry to hear that this is becoming the, the new normal. Uh, I wish there was something that uh, we could do about it. Thanks. Uh, Tom, thank you for that comment. Um, Ron, I assume there's nothing unhappy voters could do about this. It, it's interesting, actually, that uh, Eric Schmidt's opponent in this last election, Rich Finneran, he tried to make an issue of things exactly like this. Voters still chose Schmidt by a pretty overwhelming margin. Yes, I was about to say there is something the voters could do about it, and they elected not to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Eric uh, Eric Schmidt was recently elected vice chairman of the Republican Attorneys General Association. Do you think that this kind of thing indicates he's going to be a rising star in the post-Trump universe? Again, I'm asking you, I guess, to put your pundit hat on here. So, well, so that's a that's a question of internal Republican politics. I'm not an authority on that, but it seems to me if you have um, a bunch of of um, Republican attorneys general rallying around a clause like Obama, a cause like Obamacare, for example. An ambitious uh, Republican attorney general would not say, "Oh no, I will say a lot of that in two principles." Mm-hmm. He would get into the fray, and and he did. So I think this is probably something he may see as as paying dues. Hmm. Well, but, you know, it is not pursuing the public interest in any way that I can see as as a valid uh, definition. Well, Ron Levin, um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing your insight into this case and and, uh, the making of this amicus brief. This has been really invaluable, so thank you. Okay, well, thank you for having me. And Ron is the William R. Orthwine Distinguished Professor of Law at Washington University. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. 
and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.